Chapter Twenty One of Midnight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Midnight by Octavius Roy Cohen. Chapter Twenty One. Carol decides. For a moment she was silent. It was patent that she was groping desperately for the correct thing to say, and finally she extended a pleading hand. Please don't think that. What? That it was was my husband. He wouldn't. Why not? Anyway, it is impossible. He was in Nashville. He didn't get home until morning. Carroll shook his head. I hope he can prove he was in Nashville. We have tried to prove it, and we cannot. And you must admit, Mrs. Lawrence, that had he known what you planned, he would have had the justification of the unwritten law. Her eyes brightened. You think, then, that if he did, he would be acquitted? Yes. More so, in view of your story that there was a fight between the two men. That would probably add self-defense to his plea. However, I may be wrong in that. You are indeed, Mr. Carroll. My husband isn't that kind of a man. And even if he had done the shooting, he could not have concealed it from me for this length of time. He would have given a hint. No, he wouldn't have done that. If he shot Warren, he would have been afraid of telling even you. She walked to the window where she stood for a moment looking out on the drear December day. Then she turned tragically back to Carol. You are going to arrest me? No. Why not? Because I believe your story, Mrs. Lawrence. And so long as there is any way to keep your name clear of the whole miserable mess, I shall do so. But if you arrest my husband... I have no intention of doing that either, unless I am convinced that he was in the city when the shooting occurred. I am not in favor of indiscriminate arrests. In this case, they can do nothing but harm. You are very good, she said softly. I didn't imagine that a detective... Some of us are human beings, Mrs. Lawrence. Is that so strange? She did not answer and for several minutes they sat in silence, each intent in thought. It was Carol who broke the stillness. "'Do you know William Barker?' "'Barker? Why, yes, certainly. He was Mr. Warren's valet.' "'I know it. Have you seen Barker since the night Mr. Warren was killed?' "'Yes.' He could scarcely distinguish her answer. "'Twice.' He called here? Yes. Was your husband at home on either occasion? No. Why did he come here? She hesitated, but only for the fraction of a second. It was Barker who was driving me to distraction. He knew that I was the woman in the taxicab. He really believes that I killed Mr. Warren. He has been blackmailing me. Ah, so that explains his visits, and his plentiful supply of money. Yes. Oh, it was shameful, 
that I should be so helpless before his demands. It didn't matter that I had nothing to do with the killing. It was enough that I had to pay any price to keep my name clear of scandal. Looking back on the affair now, Mr. Carroll, I cannot understand my own weakness. But I felt that I owed it to my husband and my sister to protect them from scandal at any cost, and I have paid Barker a good deal of money. I see. Carroll rose. I want you to understand, Mrs. Lawrence, that you have helped me tremendously. And to know also that I shall probably succeed in keeping your name out of any disclosures which might have to be made to the public. But if my husband did it... In that event, it will be impossible not to tell. And if he didn't do it? Then you will be safe. But, finished the detective seriously, if your husband didn't do it, I don't know who did. I have followed every possible trail, and unless guilt can be fastened on either your husband or Barker, there isn't the faintest shadow of suspicion attached to anyone else. It will make things very difficult for me. During his ride to headquarters, Carroll was busy with his thoughts. He was worried about the possible complicity of Gerald Lawrence in the shooting of Warren. He was more than halfway convinced that Lawrence knew a good deal about it, and the obvious method was to order Lawrence's arrest and make him prove an alibi. But such a procedure was impossible, in view of his determination to protect Naomi's name to the ultimate moment. He was greeted at headquarters by a reporter for one of the two evening papers. The reporter was eager for an interview. There had been an appalling dearth of local news, and the Warren story had been long since played beyond the point of public interest. The readers, explained the reporter, were growing tired of theories and column after column of conjecture. They wanted a few facts. Carroll shook his head. Nothing definite to give out yet. The reporter was persistent. You have made no new discoveries at all? Well, I'd hardly say that. Then you have? Yes, answered Carroll frankly. I have. Then you think you know who killed Warren? Carroll, his mind still busy with Naomi's story, answered casually. I believe I do. That is just a belief, mind you. But there is an outside chance that there will be important developments within the next twenty-four hours. Something definite, eh? If anything at all happens, it will be definite. Then Carroll excused himself and sought Eric Leverage. Under pledge of secrecy, he told Leverage the entire story as he had heard it from Naomi Lawrence's lips. When he finished, Leverage slammed his hand on the arm of his chair. "'Gerald Lawrence, or I'm a bum guesser,' he stated positively. "'Looks that way,' admitted Carroll. "'What I hate about the idea is that if Lawrence is the man, there will be no way on earth to keep Mrs. Lawrence's name out of it.' "'You're right. How about Barker?' "'I believe Barker's story.' So does Mrs. Lawrence. 
She believes that Barker thinks she killed Warren in the taxi. Leverage glanced keenly at his friend. "'You are going to arrest Lawrence?' "'No, not yet. He may not have done it.' "'Well,' sizzled the chief of police, "'if he didn't, and Barker didn't, who the devil did?' Carroll shook his head hopelessly. "'I don't know, Eric. If neither of those two men did, we'll be left hopelessly in the air.' "'Exactly. We know that one of them did the shooting.' We've covered this case from every angle, and if we believe that the shooting was not done by Mrs. Lawrence, we must suspect one of the two men involved. And if you are sure it wasn't Barker... Let's wait a little while longer, counseled Carroll. I want to be absolutely sure of my ground. The two men sat in Leverage's office and talked. They discussed the case again from the beginning to its present status, threshing out each detail in the hope that they might have overlooked some vital fact which would give them a basis upon which to proceed. Their efforts were fruitless. The investigation had developed results, true enough, but those results were not at all satisfactory. And it was about an hour later that a knock came on the door. In response to Leverage's summons, an orderly entered. In his hand, he carried an evening paper. "'Just brought this in, sir. Thought you and Mr. Carroll might like to read it.' The orderly retired. Carroll spread the paper, then did something very rare. He swore profoundly. His eyes focused angrily on the enormous first-page headlines. Carroll has solved Warren mystery. Identity of Clubman Slayer known to famous detective. Will make arrest within twenty-four hours. Sensational developments promised by David Carroll in exclusive interview with reporter for the Star. It all came back to Carroll now. The eager reporter, the news hunger, his non-committal statements. He read furiously through the story. It proved to be one of those newspaper masterpieces which uses an enormous number of words and says nothing. Carroll was quoted as saying only what he had actually said. It was the personal conjecture of the reporter writing the story which had given spur to the vivid imagination of the headline writer. "'So now,' questioned Leverage, "'what are you going to do?' deny it? No, snapped Carroll. I can't. He hasn't misquoted a single line of what I said. It just makes things, makes them mighty embarrassing. He sat hunched in his chair, staring at the screaming headlines and rereading the lurid story. Again, an orderly entered. Young lady out there, he announced, who wants to know if Mr. Carroll is here? Instantly, the mind of the detective leaped to the tragic figure of Naomi Lawrence. "'She wants to see me?' he questioned. "'Yes, sir.' "'Show her in.' He motioned to Leverage to remain. The orderly disappeared, and in a minute the door opened and a woman entered. Carroll sprang to his feet with an exclamation of surprise. 
"'Miss Gresham!' Hazel Gresham nodded. She advanced toward Carol. Every drop of color had been drained from her cheeks. Her manner indicated intense nervous strain. Her eyes were wide and fixed. "'I would like to speak to you alone, Mr. Carroll.' "'Yes. This is Chief Leverage, Miss Gresham.' Leverage acknowledged the introduction and would have left, but the girl stopped him. "'On second thought, Mr. Leverage, you might remain.' Eric paused. His eyes sought Carroll's face. Both men knew that something vitally unexpected was about to be disclosed. They waited for the girl to speak, and when she did, her voice was so low as to be almost unintelligible. "'About a half hour ago, gentlemen, I read the story in the Star. I—I—' I, she faltered for a moment, then went bravely on. "'I came right down to save you the trouble of sending for me.' Silence, tense, expectant. "'You did what?' queried Carol. "'I came down to save you the trouble, the embarrassment, of sending for me.' She looked at them eagerly. "'I have come to give myself up.' Carol frowned. "'For what?' "'For—for for the murder of Roland Warren.' The detective shook his head. I don't understand, Miss Gresham. Really, I don't. Do you mean to tell me that you were the woman in the taxicab? She was biting her lips nervously. Yes. And that you shot Roland Warren? Y yes. And when I read in the paper that you knew who did it, I came right down here. I didn't want to—to to be brought down in a patrol wagon— I see. Wild thoughts were chasing one another through Carroll's brain. He was beginning to see light. You are quite sure that you killed Mr. Warren? Yes, I'm sure. Why do you doubt me? Don't you suppose that I know whether I killed him? Don't you suppose I can prove that I did it? Yes, I suppose you can. I wonder, Miss Gresham, and Carol's voice was very, very gentle, if you would wait in that room yonder for a few minutes? Certainly, she raised her head pleadingly. You do believe me, don't you? Carol dodged the issue. I want to think. Alone with leverage, Carol clenched his fist. If that isn't the most peculiar... She's not telling the truth, is she, David? Certainly not. She couldn't smash her own alibi if she tried a million years. He paced the room, walking in quick, jerky steps. Finally his face cleared and he stopped before Leverage's chair. I've got it, he announced triumphantly. Got what? Never mind. Carol was surcharged with suppressed excitement. I want you to do something for me, Leverage, and do it promptly. 
Sure. Send Cartwright and bring Gary Gresham here. Gary Gresham? Yes, the young lady's brother. Leverage was bewildered. What in the world do you want with him? I want him, explained Carroll confidently, because Gary Gresham is the man who shot Warren. End of chapter 21 Recording by Roger Moline